Hey, welcome to Being Creative. My name is Rick Leaf. As you know, I'm the host of this show. Ha! And we're staring headlong into the face of 2024. But before we go and let go of this year, I'd like to have an honest conversation. As honest as it could be about how your your biggest problem moving forward. Would you like to have a conversation like that? Are you interested? You are? Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> cool, me too. So, let's go. Let's do this. Giddy up, man. I'm here for it. I'm glad you're here. So, before we jump in over our heads into, you know, what is sure to be a super personal conversation where we leave ourselves no recourse but, you know, flailing uh, and wailing and crying hysterically. Um, how are you? You know, how's, how does Christmas, uh, how's the old Christmas season work out for you? I love every single friggin' year for as long as I can remember now. Every year I know it's coming into uh, this mad season when you hear the people saying, uh, you know, about the, the war on Christmas and we're not allowed to say Merry Christmas to anybody. You have to say Happy Holidays and it's uh, no one. No one ever. Okay, like, oh, I shouldn't say no one. I mean, there's there's just crazy people in this world who object to absolutely everything. But I mean, no one that I've ever heard say this a whole ridiculous scenario about Christmas season has ever had anybody object to them saying Merry Christmas. Nobody cares. No one cares. Nobody cares what you're wearing. Nobody cares what you listen to. Nobody cares what you do for a job. Have you ever gone to a party and really wowed and zowed people by uh, when they're just like, hey, so what do you do for a living? And you start telling them most, almost every single time people's eyes start rolling in the back of their heads and they, they start like scratching themselves in inappropriate places as they just try to think of like, how in the world can I get out of this situation? You and me are the same. Let's not pretend we're not. <laughs> No one cares. No one cares. No one cares if you say Merry Christmas. Nobody cares if you say Happy Holidays or anything else for that matter. Literally, no one cares. And I've gotten to the point in my life where I'm actually quite liber liberated by that. I feel really like positive. And so when I, I'm just like, oh, like I, I don't have to work in retail. So I don't have to go to the mall. I don't have to go to these shops. I hate shopping in the most, for the most part. So I avoid stores anyway. And, um, it's only when I, two things, you know, online, all of a sudden, um, usually on Reddit or something, it'll be people talking about, um, you know, not being allowed to say Merry Christmas. And that just rings so hollow. It's unbelievable. Or then I go to the grocery store and I do have to listen to that uh, god awful Christmas music. Oh, I just don't know, man. So those are the two things that let me know that it's Christmas season. And here's the thing. My life, it's this weird progression, I feel, of like Lord of the Rings characters. Like when I was younger... I wanted to be Aragorn, you know, like the Vigo Mortensen uh, Aragorn. I'm all hot and sexy and swordsy with his like, you know, his like super. Oh, that guy's just like so deadly sexy, wasn't he? Oh, come on. He was so everybody. Everybody was. Even if you didn't like guys, you're just like, oh, geez, like Vigo. Man, wow. I want to be that guy. <laughs> then I discovered it was actually more Gollum. <laughs> <laughs> then I never imagined that was, that was kind of like a hard few years to to really look in the mirror and see what I was seeing. And that's actually when I left the church and organized religion because that whole uh, no, you aren't. Yes, I am. No, you're no one likes you. You know, master likes me. No, he doesn't like that whole kind of uh, psychotic um, episode uh, rolling around in the dust fighting myself. Yeah, that that was that's what I'm talking about. So I grew up enough to realize I was actually more Gollum and I needed to like, you know, there needed to be some kind of personal um, evolution of character or something. And then I grew up enough to recognize that Samwise was actually someone to aspire to. Uh, but just when I started to actually take that seriously, I realized I wasn't selfless enough to ever be Sam. So at this point 
in my journey, I feel like birthday party era Bilbo. I'm, I just like wander around resenting emails and phone calls. I'm always crabbing about how everybody's hanging on the bell day and night. And, and I just want some peace and quiet. And that great quote that it's no bad thing to celebrate a simple life. So that's me. I'm happy as a clam that almost no one knows who I am anymore, where I am or what I'm doing. I'm living a simple life and I'm realizing that that's no bad thing. Uh, Christmas, super simple, uh, hardly went anywhere, hardly did anything, just surrounded by a couple of really awesome um, family members. It was really chill, had so much fun. So I hope you are on some sort of similar trajectory that brings you joy and peace and also like a great kind of barometer for how much BS is going on and that nobody ever cares what you call the holidays. But that's not what today was all about. Today, uh, this episode, it's, it's, I, we, we have to have a conversation about how, well, let's be honest. Can I, can I say it to you as a friend? Let me say it to you as a friend first, and then I'll include myself. Um, we're going into 2024, and I think it's time that you recognize that you're your own worst enemy. Hear me out. Okay, you thought I was throwing you under the bus, didn't you? That I was all coming at you all hard here at the end of the year. I wasn't, man. We are our own worst enemy. I'm throwing myself right in there. If, if I threw you under the bus, I'm throwing myself too. We are our own uh, worst enemy. We're our own biggest problem. Our Lack of creativity and innovation often, more often than not, is the gatekeeper limiting our imagination. We just can't imagine a life other than the one we're living. So there's no new solutions. There's no new ways to adapt or change. We're we're looking in the mirror and telling ourselves every day in in some manner or the other that we're old dogs and and we're wiping all of the new tricks off the table we're we're telling ourselves we're telling ourselves we're old dogs way before our time i'm i'm years ago friends of ours well um friends of ours uh, i'm always trying not to name names because like most of the things that i've uh, um experienced in this life revelations I've had have come through either conversations good or bad experiences good or bad with members of community because I live in community and I work in community uh, for so long and most of them are still my friends and may periodically be one of the four or five people who listen to this podcast and I never want to like <laughs> out anybody and their story and their whatever. So I'm always trying to like, it's all coming from actual experiences. And I'm always trying to like leave those people out of it because they never signed up to be a subject matter in my being creative podcast. So um, the mother of one of my friends, my artistic friends, and her partner came through Victoria a number of years ago. And he was an older gentleman. I think he was late 80s, maybe early 90s. I really don't know. And uh, we met for breakfast. There's like, hey, we're downtown. And uh, so my partner and I, we walked down and we met them for breakfast. And what both of us remember from that breakfast meeting was how curious he was. Here's a, a man, you know, the, the stereotype of the elderly senior type person is that they're just talking about, about themselves and their life and the good old days. But he was like, what do you do? And he's, he's asking my partner, who's a tattoo artist, and he's like, tattoos? Oh, man, like, tell me about it. What's the process? How many needles do you use? What are the machines like? Like, he was just learning, so interested. And then his attention got focused on me, and it was just like... It was fascinating. We both went away from that saying, when I'm his age, I want to be that curious. I want to be still learning and excited about learning things. And because of Fred, uh, was his name, um, 
I refuse at being like half his age. I refuse to consider myself an old dog before my time where I, you can't teach me any new tricks. I don't love learning and adapting to new technologies all the time. I don't love updating things and having things move around and change, but I, you know, but I'm uh, not about to sit it out. I'm not about to tell myself, well, I'm an old dog. You can't teach me any new tricks, which is what I find wild um, going into schools. I spent so much of my year going into schools, mostly across Canada. And I would have thought, and maybe you do too, that a place of learning, of a school, of an education center, of people who are in the profession of teaching, that there would be this, this commitment or this zeal or energy or excitement on the level of a teacher to keep learning all of the time that they might be the best teachers to teach someone else how to learn. But man, they're often that's not the case at all. And I have a theory, you know, most of us, if you say, hey, do you have a teacher that you remember in your, your course of like kindergarten to grade 12 or whatever, do you have a teacher? Most people, even though that's, that encompasses thousands of days and over a decade of your life, most people can remember one or two teachers that really impacted them. And I think that's a pretty, pretty fair, pretty uh, common percentage uh, for all of us. And, you know, um, of teachers that are in an actual institution, there's so many people. I, I because I'm a, a people watcher, I'm, you know, when I became a sommelier years ago, one of the things that just became kind of so natural for me. So a sommelier is like you're sort of an expert in the world of wine. And um, for me, I loved the fact that wine was so unique to the terroir, to the climate, to the weather, to the unique characteristics of the weather this year, to the soil. Is it sandy? Is it rocky? Is it rich soil? Is it a really dry climate? Is it a Mediterranean climate or a continental or maritime climate? Is it really rainy and, and wet and overcast? And all kinds of different grapes um, work and grow and mature differently and they need different things. So some grapes with really thick skins like Tempranillo or Cabernet Sauvignon, they need, uh, and Garnacha, they need that really hot heat, lots of it. There's other um, wines that do like a Riesling. It's really high acidity and high sugars and it does really well in these northern climates like Germany and the Falls area. And uh, so I've, I've just found realizing and recognizing and studying how all of the environment um, has such a profound impact on the quality of a wine from this year versus the next. And, and even if they're both quality wines, how they differ because of the differences of how they matured and in the environment that they matured in. And I just, you know, it was a pretty easy step for me to go into life, to take that into life and go, Man, for you watch how some people adversity and struggle and and whatever um, really reveal what they're capable of, and um, they dig deep and they discover things about themselves they never knew, and they rise to the occasion and they're better for it. And other people might uh, experience something even much, much less severe. It's just some roadblock, some simple discouraging comment or, or an online experience or whatever, and it will shut them down and will make them bitter and angry. I, I have a friend from a decade ago. We were, we were friends. We worked. Uh, they were an artist, amazing artist. I was so inspired by them. But this particular friend, I don't think had uh, a relational bridge left in their history that they didn't leave and just burn to the ground and leave as a smoking ruin. They just burned every bridge in their life the longer they went. And uh, for, for almost nothing sometimes, just 
literally virtually nothing happened and they would be so bitter and angry that they would burn that relationship to the ground and carry on. And so it's, it's fascinating to me as somebody who watches people to see what we tell ourselves and the power of the story that we tell ourselves. I was in a, I was in a school a few years ago um, and the principal I think it was like Tuesday night or something said, Hey, why don't you walk over to our house and have a glass of wine with my, you know, my partner and I that night. And so I, I walked over, been in the school, you know, probably a couple of days. I usually do a one week residency. And uh, so poured wine, sat down and, and the principal said, so you've been in my school for a couple of days. I bet you by now you figured out which of my teachers are uh, thriving and loving it, which are in over their head and, you know, flailing, just trying to keep their head above water and which are totally done just coasting to the retirement finish line. And I would never have, have categorized the teachers that way. But as the principal was talking, I was like, oh yeah, that, oh, oh and those two, yep. And that, oh, that's a really good way to describe that thing. <laughs> like I just, in my head, I was scrolling through the two days that I'd been in that school and the way those teachers had come into the sessions with their classrooms. And I just thought it was really fascinating when I thought of some of those teachers who were kind of like packed it in and were just putting in time coasting to the finish line. They might have had a decade to go. It wasn't like they were just, it was March and they were trying to coast till the end of June. They were years from the retirement line. And they were already, were exuding this incredible kind of ambivalence with life and boredom and lack of interest and excitement that that guy, Fred, who was 92 years old or whatever, had in life. These teachers had none. And I was like, well, I, when you meet people like this, hopefully we're all ob observant enough to go, okay, I'm, I'm seeing in you um, this pattern of belief that I don't want to adopt myself. So the next time maybe I get back to my studio now and I'm, I'm trying to figure out a new editing software or some new plugin to my editing software that's going to allow me to do some new edit, which eventually will be great for the videos that I'm producing. But to get to that point, I have to go through that learning curve again and I get a new piece of recording equipment for my voice. I get a new microphone. I get some new software for that and I have to learn how to use that before I can actually implement the tool to be better at the creativity that I all bought it for. And I don't necessarily like it. I don't know if you guys all do, but I will be damned if I'm going to sit out on the side and coast to the finish line. I am going to be that 92-year-old dude who meets some young artist, songwriter, tattoo people over breakfast, and it's like, tell me about your life. Tell me what's going on. I'm fascinated and following up with questions because it's just like all so interesting because life is interesting. It's challenging and it's hard. And all of that hardness and difficulty and challenge is what reveals what's amazing, which is why it's important to have this conversation as we go into 2024. Oh man, talking about teachers and uh, curiosity, whatever. I met a a teacher recently they they'd retired they have retired i knew this teacher from years ago it was the first time uh, i'd been back to this um school where i'd met them and they have subsequently retired and just happened to be stopping in to the school to hang out or whatever the one of the days or afternoons on the week that i was there and uh i knew i had heard through the grapevine that this teacher had uh, retired a few years ago wanted to leave that community we we're gonna put their house i think they did put their house up on the market put their stuff in a storage bin and they were gonna move they're gonna sell they're gonna move and move on but here they are years later 
still in the same community and I'm like, what? So, you know, without being a dick about it, I was just like, so, hey, what are you doing here? Like, uh, <laughs> I thought I'm just trying to pose it in a, in a kind of a positive. It's like, hey, I thought I heard that you were, you know, long gone. And they were like, <clears throat> it eventually came down to the fact that they, uh, they wanted to sell their place and maybe they had a, a ticket price that they weren't willing to go below. I don't know. We all know that the economy is what it is, interest rates, what they are, um, markets fluctuate, come and go. So I have no idea. Uh, I know that homes continue to sell. I know that people continue to move to this city that I was in talking to this retired teacher. I know that there's people always looking for properties. Um, some people can afford the $700,000 million property and other people are looking for the 250, $350,000 economy thing trying to get into the market. So I can't imagine that this person, this teacher literally can't find anybody who wants to buy their place, but maybe they just have this ticket price. Um, but anyways, what I found interesting was they were just like, yeah, I can't move. I can't move. I'm stuck here because my place won't sell. And I was like, this has been years. You, we only have one life with all due respect to the idea of reincarnation. You know, we, we have one life to live and we don't even know how long that is. And the idea that you would sit in a, you would be content or, or even if not being content, that you would give up and say, well, I can't do anything about this. So I'm just going to do nothing um, and continue to tell yourself day after day. I can't do anything. I can't rent it out and move. I can't sublet it. I can't like there's, you know what I mean? There are always options. They may not be our favorite or our first choice, but to say, I, I can hardly think of personal things like di differentiate, of course, between the fact that there are institutional problems and structural institutional kind of political, sociopolitical, religious, whatever. There are massive systems and structures in place that none of us can do anything about. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about our own agency as individuals who have the ability if we tap into our own creativity to find innovative solutions to the problems that face us. But the fact that we tell ourselves these self-defeating stories that are based not in truth, but in um, insecurity uh, and, and is what limits us and which is what going into um, 2024 is going to be the biggest problem for any of us. I don't know if, if you're a listener, if you're one of the five people who listens <laughs> <laughs> who listened to this podcast, you, you, I know you, I've told you that story about how my drum keeper from Standing Nation, uh, Rob Spade, uh, used to say every week, you know, as we would gather around the drum, it was a teaching drum, Anishinaabe teaching drum. And so there was drummers from all sorts of different nations. And many, most people around there didn't sing, I don't think, or other, you know, if they weren't around the drum, and uh, so your voices, you're singing high, you're singing loud, you're, you're giving everything you've got. And so he would often need to tell stories, either going to, into or coming out of a story just to give everybody's voice a chance to, you know, recuperate from one song to the next. And so he would always have this tagline, you can't tell anyone what to do. And it was a few words, but it was such a profound observation you can't tell anyone what to do. I get into that situation with that retired teacher who's just like, yeah, I'm stuck here. I can't do anything. It's like, well, I can't, I can't tell them what to do. There's, there's no points. So I don't even bother. Which is why I continue personally to do more than I should ever be able to. I travel more. I experience more people in places than I should ever be able to based on my income. You know, since leaving the music industry, I've written, performed, and recorded more songs than I ever did inside the machine. I play more instruments than I ever imagined I would, and I play them better than I ever imagined or dreamed that I could. And 
I know that this sounds like uh, like a humble brag fest or something, and it isn't. I, I would love to communicate somehow to you that that you, because we all are, but that you are more capable than you've ever given yourself credit for. And these hard times, these down times, these frustrating experiences that we all wish we could avoid. And I hope or I think by, you know, if if COVID hit, if the pandemic hit in 2020, it just seems like it really hasn't let up. Somehow life hasn't let up for three years. Now we're going to go into our fourth year. And I'm like, if this time hasn't revealed to you what you are capable of, that you're able to do things that you never imagined, that you were able to overcome obstacles that would have seemed insurmountable years ago, but now you're just like, this is frustrating, but I'm going to tap into everything I got and I'm going to beat this thing. I don't know if you remember or heard that Mariana Williamson quote, uh, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we were powerful beyond measure. It's our light, not our darkness that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Well, actually, who are you not to be? You're a child of God. You're playing small, doesn't serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We're all meant to shine as children do. We're meant to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give permission to do the same. Others, uh, other people to do the same as we are liberated from our own fear our presence automatically liberates others. Do you know, it's kind of funny. Um, when I was looking up that quote, it says Mariana Williamson. I remember that uh, everybody attributed that to um, Nelson Mandela because he quoted that, I believe, in his speech. But Mariana Williamson wrote that. I don't know her or anything about her. It says a return. It says in, in the footnote that it was from a return to love, reflections on the principles of A Course in Miracles, and A Course in Miracles was the most bonkers book I've ever read. So I think that's kind of hilarious. I didn't know if uh, if this is a her. I don't have no idea. I'm gonna have to look it up. Is what I'm saying afterwards. But you know what, my friends, it is really something if you find yourself believing that your that our deepest fear is not that we're inadequate, but that our deepest fear is that we are capable of so much more. And I think for some people, it is our light and not our darkness that frightens us most. I remember writing a line in a song from the, um, I did an album in, I believe, 2006 called, uh, <coughs> excuse me, The Winter of Discontent. And there was this line in the song, Days of Wonder, where I'd had this dream where this little boy came to me in my dream and told me all of this. And I woke up and I wrote it down and I made it lyrics um, for this song. And I realized upon thinking about it later that that little boy in my dream was actually me. It was a version of me, a younger version, speaking to that adult version of me. And it's like, on the shores of pain you'll ever see. The waves that drag you under are the ones that let you see. I love that line. I know that I, I know that I wrote it. Um, but I, I, I remind myself of that. Honestly, I think sometimes, you know, I write my songs now absolutely for the people that I'm writing with. If I'm using songwriting in, in schools for the whole songs for schools, um, 
mentorship program that I put together because I love writing songs and I thought, you know, if I could find a way to share what I love with other people that might also love it, then maybe that could be a profound experience and overwhelming it has. At this point, over 60,000 students have been in part of, have been part of the, the programs and the projects that have produced just dozens and dozens of these educational anthems, exploring all of these different themes. And, and, it, and it really comes down to that shared experience um, and so I love, uh, I love songwriting. I love lyrics. And often the, the lyrics that I write, they come back to me to speak to me. And that whole idea of like the waves that are going to drag you under in the storms of life. And you feel like, that's it. I'm going under, never coming back up again. I felt that. Maybe that's what this teacher was trying to communicate, you know? Up there, it's like I, I've it's an insurmountable waves in the st storm of life. I I can't sell my place. I can't leave this town. And uh, for me, when you kind of resign yourself and you just get dragged under, what do you see down in the deep? What what do you hear? Do you hear your own heartbeat? Do you hear your your own ragged breath in the middle of the night as you cry out to some? being or to the universe or whatever where you're just like I don't want to give up I this is my dream I want to do this you know what I said at the beginning of this episode that nobody cares what you do nobody cares if you say Merry Christmas whatever nobody cares if you go after your dream so go after your dream nobody cares they're not gonna be you're not gonna if you're waiting for a whole bunch of people, your friends and family and everybody else to line up on the sidelines of your life and cheer you on, you know, and give you like the, the ticker tape parade and the, the cheerleaders and the chants and the, the drums and the fireworks and the, you know, star spangled banner and the whatever, you know, it's never going to happen. You're going to make it happen or nobody is. And you're probably going to make it happen in the middle of the night by yourself. And that is amazing. That's your light. That's what you are capable of. So stop playing small. You, you are brilliant and gorgeous and talented and fabulous. Be who you are meant to be. It's, it's the same for all of us. Our, our fears and insecurities, they're never going to go away. And they're going to tell you, keep playing small. Don't, don't say anything out loud. Don't chase that dream. Don't go for it, for God's sake. I mean, it's, I did write another line in a, in a slam poem that I perform all the time. And it's also a cautionary tale for me. It's like, you know, it's a, it was about this, um, this person who said, you know, it's one thing to say you want to spread your wings and learn to fly until you realize you might die trying. It's true. I, I know for a fact why a lot of people they will talk about their dream like something they want to do or it would be amazing to do but even as they're talking about it they will pull the rug out from underneath it they will throw the the cold water they will throw buckets of water on the fire they will they will they will tell you what they would love to do on one hand and in the very next breath they will tell you why that could never happen because they want you to know that they're not stupid enough to risk it all. They want to know that they're, that they're not dumb enough to believe that, you know, dreams can come true, that you could be more brilliant, more gorgeous and talented and fabulous than you are right now. They, they want to let you know, I got to uh, coast to the retirement line. I got nothing left in me. I can't learn another single solitary app. There is no way I can update my operating system to, uh, do anything other than what I've done to this point. So what can you or I do about it? Well, about somebody else, nothing. We can do nothing at all. But here is probably the reason I wanted to do this particular episode because I, and I'm just telling you how I'm my, my own kind of uh, moment of reflection and what I feel like going into this uh, deal. Um, You know, I, I've been... <laughs> Uh, I, I realized the other day I was telling somebody that it was a meme, a stupid freaking meme 
that actually inspired my entire career. Uh, I saw this thing that said, um, be who you needed when you were younger. And I was like, man, I, I grew up in this super conservative religious town and church and family and lots to be thankful for. But boy, in terms of an environment that would inspire me um, to go for it. Yeah, not, not so much, right? And I really needed someone when I was younger who would say, um, wow, Rick, like, you're amazing. You could, you could do this. You could, you could write a song. You could get up on stage and sing it. You could do, you know, I needed somebody who'd give me that little bit of encouragement, who'd make that little bit of a space. I, I had a friend who, you know, he created a space, got me up on stage. I had another friend who, you know, invited me to come play drums in his band. And I ended up on the, you know, the first time I ever dragged my drum kit into a bar at six o'clock at night and set it all up. And the, the back then, you know, bars, everybody smoked in the bar. It just stunk. It was just like that stale smoke. And then the all the beer that had been spilt on the carpet. Why did they have carpets back then? I don't know. But, um, and I, but I was so excited. It was just so alive. And the smell of the place, like that stale smoke and, and whatever. And, and that paled into comparison. You know, we got all set up and started sound checking and got the sound. And then we went and you know, left for a couple hours and came back all wearing our black clothes or whatever we were wearing and, and sat down behind my drum kit. And now people are smoking and the room is filled with these clouds of smoke and the voices are loud and the clinking of glasses. Everybody's drinking and, and the voice and we start to play. It was magic. It was just some stupid little bar in some little town you've never heard of that I've never been back to, but it was magic. For four hours, it was magic for me to, to step out and go, I could, I could play drums. I could, I could play drums in a band that played such great songs that the dance floor would fill and everybody would be singing along. And, and I got to live that. That was magic. And, and do you know how you get to experience the magic? You have to step out of your comfort zone. I often, when I'm doing my mentorship workshops, you know, I'll make this big circle while I'll write comfort zone and I'll, and I'll draw a big circle around it. And while I'm drawing it, I'm saying, you know, every one of us has one of these. It's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not like it's understandable. And then outside of that circle, somewhere else on the whiteboard, I'll write where the magic happens and I'll just draw a line from inside the comfort zone pointing toward where the magic happens. And I'm like, you know, when I ask you to like write a song or be part of this video or sing or write slam poetry and get up and perform it, I'm asking you to step outside of the comfort zone. I know that, but I'm not asking you to step outside of the comfort zone so that you would be uncomfortable. I point to those words where the magic happens. I'm like, I want you to experience that. Because an art, as an artist, as somebody who pursues my dreams and doesn't give up, that is worth everything. And I want every student in that room who's willing to spread their wings and learn to fly, even though they realize they might get made fun of or they might stumble and fall. There was one school I was in, this pool, this kid, I'll never forget it. It was elementary school, so maybe it's grade five or six. And when I got to the point of who would like to read their, come up to the front and read your slam poetry, uh, this kid is just waving his arm, ooh, 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 he's doing the Hermione Granger thing, um, you know, where he just won't, couldn't wait to get up there. And and so I called him up and he, he was so excited. He got up and he started reading his poem off of his paper. And then maybe he'd written really messy or something, but at some point he lost his way. At some point he lost his train of thought or he lost where he was on the page when he looked back down to it. And in a second, it's like in a, in a, in a nanosecond, all that confidence, all that joy and fun, everything was gone. And it was just abject fear and panic. And he just gave into it and he just started crying. 
and the teacher came over and she was trying to console him and and i in those situations often just kind of want to move on to the next student who might get up and um perform because i don't want to like everybody just sit there and look at this kid so the teacher said to him hey go ahead and go sit in the hall and just collect yourself like don't worry about it so couple more kids they read we're getting to the end of the session so i just like okay everybody like i'll see you tomorrow and i pack my stuff up i step outside the door and this kid is sitting on the floor in the hallway so i just sit down beside him and i said uh, dude i know exactly how you felt and i tell him this story i said uh, i started playing drums in this band and every time we were about to play uh if it was a Friday, Saturday night gig, uh, I would, you know, in late afternoon on Friday, I would start feeling sick. And I'd be like, oh no, I'm coming down with something and maybe I'm not gonna be able to do the show and I'm gonna get, and then I'd push through or whatever. And I, and I realized, whoa, excuse me. I realized that at some point I wasn't sick. I was just nervous. And it, it was manifesting that way. It was like the nerves were so bad, it was making me physically sick. Now, my mind did this really great thing. Uh, when I realized I wasn't actually sick, it transferred all of that nervous energy and fear and whatever into um, giggling. So here I am trying to be this rock and roll guy with my drum kit, and I'd be so afraid I'd just be giggling. And uh, this one, we, we hired this new bass player and uh, it was like we'd rehearsed and we got the set together, but he was um, based in a city like an hour away. So he didn't, you know, hang out, didn't know him very well. And we all met at this uh, venue, this bar in this small town between where we all lived. And he'd had a terrible drive out. He got a flat tire and one thing went wrong and he was almost running out of gas. I don't know. He was So as we're setting up, he's telling this story. Now I'm I'm nervous, so I'm just giggling, not thinking anything about, you know, related to his story. He's just telling the story while he's setting up his gear. But at some point, he stops his story and he looks at me and he goes, Rick, I swear to God, if you don't start laugh, if you don't stop laughing at me, I'm going to drag you out into the alley and I'm going to beat the ever-living crap out of you. Which makes me even more nervous, which makes me giggle even more more uncontrollably and i'm kind of panicking now as i'm trying to you know gasping for air around and talking around this uncontrollable fit of hysterical giggling like it's not you man i'm just nervous i'm like <laughs> he didn't uh in the end beat the crap out of me but uh <clears throat> only because i managed to get the story out so you know i'm telling this kid that story i'm just like do you know what I used to feel sick and I used to think I wasn't going to be able to do it. And then I started giggling. This guy wanted to beat me up, whatever. So hang in there, you know. Well, anyways, that kid takes that little pep talk, whatever it was, goes away. Next day, I come back into his room and he puts his hand up again. And I thought that's probably one of the most courageous things I've seen a student do at his age. Got back up, read, didn't lose his place in whatever. And it was great. Now, when I'm in a school doing slam poetry with the entire school, it could be three, 400 students. Usually we have like a poetry slam on Friday afternoon in the gym and each class represent, you know, chooses two or three poets from their class to represent for their class in front of the entire school. So lo and behold, this kid requests and is accepted or chosen by his class to be one of the poets to rep for them at the poetry slam for like, 400 kids. So I'm setting up, you know, I'm going to be playing, I'm going to be performing as well as like facilitating this whole poetry slam for these students. And I'm bringing my stuff backstage out to the front of stage and I'm setting up and I hear this teacher's assistant standing outside what I discovered was the bathroom backstage. And she's calling through the door going, do you want me to call your mom? Do you need somebody to come and get you? And I hear this kid in this bathroom off stage throwing up into the toilet who manages to say, no, don't call my mom. I'm just nervous. And it was this little dude, this little grade six slam poet who was so afraid and so nervous but so committed 
to his brilliance and his talent and his poem that he would put himself through that so that he could complete the joy of what he had discovered by writing and performing slam poetry. Man, that is what I want for everybody that I can. If you're going to step outside of that comfort zone, I will want you to get to that place where you can have the magic happen. That's what I want for 2024 for myself and for you, right? And what is the biggest thing that's going to prevent any of us from doing that? It's going to be, we got to get over ourselves, of course, but we have to. And I, I would say this, if, if I can't tell you what to do, but could you please be careful for the people you let into your inner circle? Those people who can just drain the life and the creativity uh, and, and, and whatever, all of the things that it takes to step outside of your comfort zone. I mean, getting to where the magic happens is messy. It's confusing. Sometimes you get lost. Sometimes things don't work out. For instance, we were... This is a stupid story, but, you know, a silly story, not stupid. It's silly, um, but most profound things in my life, I feel like they often come down to something as silly as this. We were, we were in Spain recently. We're walking around Seville. We were there for, I think, three or four days, my partner and I. And this one morning, my partner, for whatever reason, was on a quest to find the perfect place to get a cappuccino and a croissant. And... We walked around and we saw this place. No, let's keep going. Walk around the corner, see another place. Yeah, no, let's keep going. And so for whatever reason, my found, my partner found none of them appealing. And we walked and walked and walked. I had maybe half an hour, 20 minutes. I don't know. Eventually, they picked one and it was super disappointing. <laughs> but I didn't feel any regret. I didn't bitch and complain that we were at a stupid breakfast place because... That's the way intuition and creativity work. You follow your gut. You chase ideas and inspiration. And sometimes it really pays off. And sometimes it doesn't really go anywhere. But if you're surrounded by people who are committed to never failing or falling or flailing about or wailing or crying or, or getting, you know, whatever, they will make your life a living hell if you are committed to that creative process. At this stage in my life, I'd much rather be alone and lonely than surrounded by naysaying, doomsayers, grumbling and complaining about every little thing, which is why I realized for myself, I don't know where you're at with the whole social media world. Uh, I had to kill, well, I canceled Twitter. What a toxic cesspool that is. And uh, and I killed my Facebook newsfeed actually as an aside, this was really interesting. Maybe this is going to um, uh, interest some of you. I read this article about somebody named Lewis Barkley, who had created an app called Unfollow Everything. And it started off by saying Lewis Barkley created this app, Unfollow Everything, and for his efforts, uh, Facebook banned him for life. And if Facebook hates you, I'm really interested because I think I might really love you. So I read this article and what he had discovered was, you know, all of the ads, all of the sponsored ads and everything else and everything that Facebook um, pumps into your newsfeed uh, is driven by who you're following and how you're interacting with information. And he discovered that if He'd created this app where you could just, uh, with one click, it would unfollow everything and everyone. You could still be connected. You're still connected, but you're not following them. And the minute you're not following anyone or anything, the, well, A, no friends, no family, posts, nothing's coming up in your newsfeed, but neither are ads. There's no ads. There's no uh, things to, there's no rage bait things to get you going, whatever. Uh, it's brilliant. Why would you do that? Well, I still want to be able to maybe be connected. To, there's some people in my life that I'm only connected through Facebook. There are some schools that I'm only connected to. Marketplace is also something that I would like to do. So I would like to be able to use it for those reasons. But 
I realized like everybody else, I started Facebook back in 2005 or six or whenever it was. And it has just become this unhealthy habit. Every time you're in an idle moment, standing around, it's like, ah, oh, you know, you find yourself pulling out your phone, clicking on the app, open it up and scrolling through a bunch of crap that makes you either feel bad about yourself, feel frustrated, or are actually um, Chasmuth, uh, what's his name? Chasmuth Palapatio. He was one of the early Facebook execs and he, he left the company and he's done lots of TED Talks and he's often interviewed on the media where he says, you know, he regrets ever being involved. He regrets what he did for Facebook. And he said, you know, Facebook isn't broken. It's working exactly as we intended. We searched all the ways to promote engagement on the platform and rage was the one that drove more engagement than anything else, more than inspiration, more than education, more than, you know, cute cut, you know, puppies and kitties and whatever else getting you pissed off. That was what got people to spend time on the platform, share those things and interact with them. So when I think about that, you know, uh, I, I, because I adopted Facebook so long ago, I had just, you know, I was doing shows and I'd get back to the hotel room and there'd be like 20 new, uh, friend requests. It was new for all of us. And so people that had been at the show was like, oh, I want to follow Rick. And I told myself, this is great. It's going to help me like sell my music. It's going to help me interact with my fans. Well, I ended up with like a thousand or more people I didn't even know. So I remember a couple nights. Oh, so anyways, for, for Lewis Barkley, of course, he creates this unfollow everything, which is the exact opposite of what Facebook wants, which is why they banned him for life. But I, when I read that, I was like, he said in the article that was interviewing, he's like, because I knew people weren't going to want to go through and unfollow everything one click at a time. And I was like, whoa, wait, what? I can do that? The app doesn't exist, but I can do that? And so I did. And it was weird at first. It's, you know, you take your best friend, unfollow my best friend, unfollow my family, unfollow my partner, unfollow my kids. You have to unfollow everyone or it doesn't work. And uh, boy, it, it's been amazing. It It is what I needed to take control of a part of my, my comfort zone and where the magic happens, I needed to, you, you can't, I can't, I don't have enough um, emotional energy to spend any of it on being upset about some stupid thing that a friend I haven't seen for a year and a half posted about a political party or a, individual or whatever or saying that you know we're not allowed to say merry christmas anymore that would be the kind of thing that i'd just be like oh my god i can't believe we're still doing this you know i don't need to hear that i don't need to see that or read that and by cutting that out i just realized it was like uh i don't know it was like i figured out I had some electronic thing that was just draining the power every day. And when I managed to like unplug it, suddenly I had more energy, more creative energy, more emotional energy than I had before because I wasn't wasting it on this stupid crap. So uh, taking control over these things that you can control, which uh, includes access to your dreams, access to your hopes, those things that you're going to express out loud. You know, if you meet, someone, and this is the other kind of thing that I've learned. Uh, I'm very, very uh, careful about when I meet people and we start having this conversation, we start sharing hopes and dreams and whatever. And if they start using phrases like, yeah, it'll probably never happen. Or I doubt that, or I don't think I bail, you know, like Rob's head around the drum. You can't tell anyone what to do. I, I can't tell you um, what could happen. But you're, when you start using those phrases, you're not actually talking about, from experience, this study shows, or I tried it in this three different ways and it failed all, and I've come to the conclusion that that does not exist. You know, we're just talking, we're just verbalizing doubts and fears and insecurities. And if they've given into theirs, they will hate you for not giving into yours. And they will do everything that they can to hamstring you or to let the air out of your tires so that you stop pursuing what it is that you're pursuing because it just makes them frustrated and envious. I wrote this slam poem for schools that I was going into about trying because, and, and in this line, it was like, you know, I love it when people try. 
because that's when you can see the fire in their eyes as they sail the stormy seas of life like a boss tossed by the waves. They avoid the ways that hopes get dashed on the rocks of common sense. And I hope that your curious minds question that line because above all else in this life, you need uncommon sense. Because what is common about being your best? You refuse to be less than your best. You give yourself a gift and everyone else. And I think, if I was going to be honest, that that's probably the perfect way to end this particular episode. Don't you think? It was really good, right? Like, I think it ended on a pretty high spot. Like, I know I was talking lower, but I think, like, generally speaking, it was, like, really uplifting. And I feel, like, really quite encouraged. And I hope you do, too. Because, everybody, creativity is a mindset. It's a lifestyle that produces an energy that empowers resiliency and the confidence to face the challenges that life throws at us. And that process, that freaking creative process is what creates the momentum and it's that momentum or the lack of momentum that i want to share with you through all these episodes so i hope you enjoyed today's episode feel free to leave a comment or ask for a question and always remember you're capable of infinitely more than you've ever given yourself credit for until next time
Thank you.